1: So in terms of, you know, just for those of, you know, obviously our, our the people that listen to this podcast or are, are the lay public mostly, that's usually who's listening. And I think they're always interested in how kind of we got there. But from a, a standpoint of uh, where you're going, like, what are your plans? What are you going to do? What are you going to do after this fellowship?
0: Do you have any idea what you want to do, Neil? That's the million dollar question. And. Just find it is a job.
1: literally the million dollar question, yeah. isn't it?
0: Because you'll need a million dollars to <laughs> in a practice. <laughs> I know. Um, no, I, th- I think I, I want to do something that incorporates uh, some reconstructive surgery because I've spent so long getting all those rep- repetitions and helping so many patients um, as a resident. It would be really nice to now be on the other side of the street there and being an attending, and you know them looking at me as their primary plastic surgeon. Um, But also, I mean, I've invested now a year in this and I'm very, very interested in aesthetic surgery, which is why I did this and harness and sharpen my skills. So I'd love to find a job that I can possibly do both. And uh, that's that's the goal.
1: Academic or private? Probably
0: private practice. You know, there are a ton of academic centers that
1: would love to get their their mitts on you guys (laughs) to open the aesthetic surgery practice in the residency you it's know they're
2: very hard to get an aesthetically trained surgeon especially once they've been in practice for a little bit to go and work in an academic center because they are two totally separate worlds and uh that would be a high demand you know person who would be willing to really do both at that kind of high level yeah so, i remember Quan was
1: thinking about that too mm-hmm. when he yeah. when he first came he was sort of coming back from uh, from UCSF and you know I talked to their folks and I'm like yeah you know maybe he'll come back and open aesthetic because they had uh, they had worked with uh, Gil Graydinger for a long time he passed away and Gil was like a huge part of that residency and so like they, they haven't replaced him really and it's hard to get that person in these these residency programs who are gonna really take the residents through you know aesthetic surgery cases but you know when you're young and
0: you're starting off. You've you've
1: all kinds of choices. All
2: options. You it's all open.
0: For sure. Yeah, it's exciting for sure. I don't. I I'm an open canvas, uh, looking all throughout the the country at this point right now, from the east coast to the west coast to the Midwest. So it's kind of actually kind of honestly, I feel blessed. There's a, a bunch of opportunities that have already kind of popped up, and I was not expecting them to come this early on in the process. Since you know this is a one year fellowship, and it goes from July to July. But I feel lucky and we'll kind of have to see. Well, if oh. you're
2: willing to go anywhere, more or less, in the country you're in a really good spot. Yeah. You know, it's, if you really are, for what a lot of us are very, you know, location bound for reasons, family, etc. And that can make it really challenging, especially to find the job that you really want. But if you are open to going anywhere, that's super helpful. I think there is, what is the quote about New York? I guess you know this. You can, ha- you can have, there's three things, right? Location, a job you love, and a commute. You can have two of the three. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have all three. Maybe that's an LA quote. I think it's an LA quote. You can have a job, you can have a place you love to live and you can mm-hmm. have a commute and you can't have a mall
3: yeah it is i mean
1: yeah. I, I drive up here from newport beach
2: because, mean, but you love your job love it and you love where you live
1: i do and you have a crappy so commute <laughs>
2: yeah
1: yeah i mean it's i think even i don't know anywhere in la that you don't have a commute really i mean it's not even an issue sometimes it takes you an hour to get from where you are and you're Seven miles away from here, or something. It's
2: true. If I leave Beverly Hills at five thirty, especially on a Friday, it will take me an hour to go across town ten miles.
1: Yeah, it's ten miles. Yeah,
2: it's ten miles. I had a friend who was she'd come and gotten some Botox with me, and then we were going to go back to my place to hang out for the night. And she was driving behind me, and we got back to my house, and she was like, "I cannot believe I just spent an hour to drive this distance." Welcome to L.A.
1: Yeah. It was the middle of the day one day, and I was trying to go to, uh, by the way, this sounds like the Californians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had to Looks go. take like the 405 <laughs> Spolvina. <laughs> yeah, and take the two all the way up. Yeah. But uh, I had to go over to North Hollywood where my son was doing that rock and roll fantasy camp, yeah. and I was here, and I looked at the time, and I was like, oh, no problem. He goes on in 45 minutes. Piece of cake. It's only 6.5 miles away. <laughs> I like oh. just arrived. And it was like it, one in the afternoon. You know, just you you can't
2: There's no telling.
1: Yeah. Well, and if you get out of town you'll you'll find it. Like a lot of our fellows have gone to um well, some are in Orange County, uh we've some that have gone to back to Texas. Back to Texas,
2: uh, Northern California. Yeah, Florida,
1: Northern yeah. California. Yeah, we've got a yeah. bunch. Uh K Town, Quan. That's right. That that guy's killing it over there. Just <laughs> knocking out his uh rhinoplasties like crazy. Uh and what about you? David, what's uh, what's on the radar screen?
3: Boy, you know, you would think I would probably be chasing that academic dream because uh, I, I have a PhD. I did that in immunology when I was uh, in medical school, um, but I I have slow. I've kind of moved towards private practice over time, namely because of the people and the experience. I think you know, yeah. the, the thing that you run into with academics and a lot of pe- a lot of young academic people who are interested in aesthetics run into this is you, you don't have control always over your patient's experience. Um, and you're kind of, there is a hospital administrator at, you know, over your head talking about this, you know, what are you going to do? How, how's this going to work? And there's a lot of different pressures related to that. Um, when I started interviewing and, and working around private practices, I was really happy to see how people got along. I mean, the, the, the surgeons are friends with their anesthesiologists just like here, we have a great scrub and, and nurse team and, and Jose, occasionally Ryan, occasionally Gabby, uh, and Perla and stuff like that. So we're really, it's, it's that interaction of going to work with the people you like every day is something that I've always really enjoyed. So, um, I think for me, private practice is is more likely that, um, and for me, I I think I'll, you know, I have, also, like you know, some opportunities. I'm more of a Midwest guy. I've tried the California thing. I'm just not a city kid.
2: Yeah,
3: I tried really hard. That
2: one-hour commute's not your yeah, thing. You
3: know, I'm, I only have a 10-minute commute right now. Um, but even so, I, I when I get home, I don't like to have neighbors. I don't like to have it, mm. so I, I want to kind of have a, a compound out in the middle of nowhere, wherever I can be. Um, you can do that. Yeah. And it's,
1: it's, it's definitely it's awesome. on the radar screen.
3: And my, my wife is very, very extraordinarily academic. She's uh, at Cedars-Sinai doing the breast oncology fellowship right now with Dr. Giuliano. And she is a big deal in, uh, in breast cancer care and is really planning to stay academic. So we need to be somewhere that has a great academic opportunity for her and a great private practice opportunity for me. Um, I think we've identified the places, the place that's right for us. Well, good. Um, so that will, you know, more details to come over time. But, um, We'll get that on your exit interview. It'll yeah. be on the exit interview. Yeah, we'll get
1: both of you guys back around for this uh for that. the I'll exit podcast.
2: The the plans, the yeah. early fellowship plans to the late fellowship plans and see how they match up. Yeah, that's <laughs> true.
1: Yeah, Neil hasn't rotated here yet. There's still time for yeah. him to There's be still like, you time know what? to bring him back over I'm to the here. true <laughs> dark <laughs> side. You're very well could be happy. <laughs> uh, well that's you know, and that that's sort of the thing is that you you have the choices because you guys are both from top-of-the-line residency programs, you now have a, a really uh, top-of-the-line fellowship that's going to be under your belt. Um, what about, you know, a lot of residents listen to this podcast, and, you know, what do you think about the kind of the, there's this stigma of doing an aesthetic fellowship. Maybe it's, maybe it's dissipating now. I, I don't know. I mean, I know that when I first affiliated with USC, they They sent the residents here in their last year for three months, and I remember one of the residents who remained nameless having the best time on this rotation in uh April, May, and June, and going, "I knew they were hiding it from me. I knew it had to be out there, and it's too late now. I'm already doing a micro fellowship. They definitely hit it and and it's, true. it's and he true really felt that way they do hide it and uh when you came through, you did. Did you? You only did your senior year, right? I did my, yeah, I. You was, didn't have a rotation before. I
2: did not, and I did it in the beginning beginning of my chief year, so right. that was helpful. Um, but no, I had never had it before. But I was also coming in as an independent, so I only had the last three years of the program, anyways. But I think USC is getting better now at sending in four, five, and six year residents instead of just the six years.
1: Yeah, and that that was the big change is that I think the RRC, the Resident Review Committee, came in and said, like, you guys are lacking in aesthetics and you're not going to have a residency anymore. And so it is of, you know, paramount importance to the Residency Review Committee for plastic surgeons to know aesthetic surgery as residents. So now we are getting I think we get threes fours or maybe fours fives i think fours and, fives and, yeah, and sixes yeah. and sixes i, I think through.
0: most programs though will front load a lot of the reconstructive and then back load a lot of the aesthetic experience i don't think it's unique only to usc um that happens to us as well we would do three months during our fifth year and three months during our sixth year and i think there's two real reasons one i think is that aesthetic surgery has requires a lot of nuances a lot of Little different uh, intricacies, and I think you only appreciate them after you have a foundation based, built from the reconstructive uh, counterpart surgeries. True. And so I think in your latter years, you can kind of gain more from that experience. And I think that they have found, I think there's even studies that have showed this, that resident-run clinics are beneficial to the community. They offer discounted surgery. Um, They also offer a tremendous benefit for the young resident surgeon in that they get for the first time with some oversight to plan a case, to talk to patients. Um, These are typically healthy patients, so the medical risk is a little bit um, safer than having a reconstructive patient that could code any or die on the table. Um, That we see, unfortunately, at like these big institutions, but aesthetic surgery doesn't have that as much. Um, So you end up seeing, I think, fifth year and sixth year. And then in terms of the stigma, there's definitely a stigma. I think a lot of plastic surgeons call it cosmetology um, and try to say that it's, you know, it's a little short-sighted to think of it that way. At NYU, we were really blessed and lucky. Our chairman, Dr. Rodriguez, who's a phenomenal reconstructive surgeon um, and has an aesthetic practice of his own. He says, guys, I will support you 100% no matter what you do. You want to go into hand surgery? I just want you to be the best hand surgeon to come out of this program. You want to go into microsurgery? I'll stand behind you and I just want you to be the best. Go to the best place. Get the best training. He's very pro-fellowship for that reason because he really, truly believes that fellowship is what we'll gets your game to the next level?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, back when I finished before electricity, the, um, <laughs> the uh, fellowships really weren't part of it as much for aesthetics. Um, but, you know, if you need, wanted to do craniofacial, you had to do that. Hand was becoming – that's when they had that CAQ, the Certificate of Added Qualification. That became a thing in hand surgery while I was in my residency. So if you really wanted to be a hand surgeon, you had to go get that. Now that's sort of like you have to have it if you want to be on an insurance panel. I think even if you want to take call, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe they make you still take hand call. So we were, no. we were saying something. Are you off no. the No.
2: If you don't have a C-A-Q-H, whatever that is, you do not take hand call at Cedar sinai Other small hospitals will still make you take hand call, yeah. but not Cedar sinai
1: yes that
3: is nice
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. that's super nice
3: you know shout out to the hand surgeons out there that are oh willing to take hand call because bless yes. you thank god bless you for the things that you do so that I we don't have to don't take have. hand surgery call. <laughs> thank, thank god you to, thank you to the hand surgeons that trained me in hand surgery so I could learn that that's not what I wanted to do <laughs> bless them for doing that
1: and bless them for taking care of my gamekeeper yeah. stuff oh, that's boy. all I, I mean absolutely I don't you know come on you know, how's that getting fixed otherwise no, it's not
3: Oh, I think I think there's been a big shift in residencies in general. I think aesthetics has become way more in the open out. I think, you know, when I started, nobody, nobody did an aesthetic surgery fellowship from University of Michigan. And then over the past few years, it's blossomed to the point that I think three or four residents are applying into aesthetics in this coming year wow. uh, from University of Michigan. And I credit a lot of it to Dr. Sedona because he really saw the tide rising and said, we got to support we got to make good surgeons no matter what for whatever right. they're doing and he helped create that resident clinic that we did not have well uh, you know what's you interesting
2: know? about that the whole stigma of like oh because usc was big on like setting people out to do like hardcore you know micro fellowships yeah. or craniofacial like nobody did an aesthetic fellowship um but the truth of the matter is if you look at the statistics i can't can't remember off the top of my head but it's like. 80 to 85% of practicing plastic surgeons do aesthetic surgery. So, by not training us or by not promoting aesthetic surgery in the training program, you're ultimately going to produce a poorly trained plastic surgeon because yeah. guess what? Almost everyone's going to do aesthetic surgery because patients want it when they come out of their residency.
3: And what do you what do you lose having a very accomplished aesthetic surgeon come out of your program? You yeah. know, it's the same as having someone who can do a face transplant or separate twins or sew someone's hand back on in the middle of the night. Like it's the, it, if you have an accomplished, respected, responsible aesthetic surgeon who comes out of your program, it's a win for everybody. And then you can say that guy yeah. came from here.
1: Yeah. I think we have a very, you know, academic approach, yeah. even in this, you know, private practice based I mean we are affiliated with USC and so there are all those academic affiliations and, and the residents are here and there are conferences and we have a journal club now which I'd really like to have on a Tuesday so I can get to it. Please uh, thank you. <laughs> um, that would be awesome. But you know that that makes for you know a really good experience and like I have no doubt that when you two guys go out into practice that you're gonna be awesome and that the patients are gonna be very happy that you can do the things that you do the way you do them with the level of safety and attention to detail that generates the outstanding results because that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's not, it's, you know, yeah, we're in Beverly Hills and whatever, I like, you know how I feel. I'm sort of like the blue collar surgeon in in, in Beverly Hills. You know, I trained in Pittsburgh, right? Gin's gone downtown and that. And uh, that, that is really the thing is it's all about driving the results. And we're not happy if our patients aren't happy And even sometimes our patients are happy. We're still not happy because we need to be better.
2: (laughs) I'm like, she's like, I'm so happy. And I'm like, ah,
1: great.
2: (laughs) And I'm like, I could have done this differently. I could have done that. But that's that's that internal, like, I want to be better. I got to be better drive, which I think is in all of us for the most part. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. And
1: that's what I'd say every time I'm walking into the operating room, it's This is the day, this is the time that I get to do the best operation I've ever done because I get to take all of my experience and all of my planning and all of my ability into the OR and there's no reason why that operation shouldn't be the best one that I've ever done. I mean, it's just, that's how I see it.
3: And, you know, I think there are some aesthetic surgeons out there who may not actually be plastic surgeons who have a big presence and say some weird stuff and do some weird things and having a whole generation of well-trained aesthetic, real plastic surgeons coming out who know how to be proper on social media and not <laughs> wild and know how to convey our specialty in a way that's professional and like it should be. That's what we need. It's, you know. it's
2: a win.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah it's it a win. wins for everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that, that part of it is really important too. I mean, how, how you present yourself to the public and market. I mean, so here's an interesting statistic. There are, what, 7,500 7, board certified plastic surgeons in the country, somewhere mm-hmm. in that, that neighborhood? About right. Yeah. Um, 7,000 to 7,500. There are, I think the statistic last I checked was 42,000 surgeons practicing plastic surgery okay. as, full-time, as their full time practice. So the odds of you getting a board-certified plastic surgeon are are low if you, if you don't pay attention to who... And again, Dr. Ravello <laughs> is clear about referencing everybody to the mm-hmm. board-certification uh, podcast, which uh, I don't remember the exact date, but go back. Way back and, when. By the way, yeah. three years coming up. Woo! I know. Not bad. Three years of podcast. So.
3: Well, we, uh, took the, we took the written boards, and let us tell you, if you could pass the written boards... You've been through it. You've been through it. I mean, and it <laughs> yeah, it's means, hard. It means something. I, I, I think people, you know, aren't educated well enough as to what it actually means, um, to be a board certified plastic surgeon, but it really means a lot. And I think I, I hate to see how this happens to patients and how many patients we see when we're doing, since we've done so many revision rhinoplasties lately, who have been through people who, who knows who they were. You know who knows what. I don't happening. know
1: the names. I, I ask, but I'm there, I just kind of go. I mean, it's discovery
3: <laughs> time in some of these in some of these operations, and you see people, and they said, "I didn't know. I didn't know." And it's yeah. it's partly on us, and partly that we need to be out there as board certified plastic surgeons, kind of giving people this information.
1: Hundred percent. Well, you guys, I really appreciate you guys kind of going through you know what it is to do this fellowship. Um, any comments for the people that are looking to come to this fellowship, since we're talking about it? We have a whole new round of applicants coming through that you'll interview, but what would you say in terms of how you decided to come here versus going to some really other, I mean, the guys in New York, would have ta- they would have probably stabbed somebody to keep you there based <laughs> on what they said. So, you know, why why did you come here versus going somewhere else? And you don't have to name the other programs because they're all our friends and they're that, which by the way i think is also one of the great aspects of aesthetic surgeons is that the camaraderie amongst the very you know kind of limited number of people that do this yeah. at this level mm-hmm. is really it, it's special and it's exciting and uh and i i really like that part of of our specialty but why why did you come here versus going to some of the other great places
0: so i think uh there's i think about for about 40 um fellowships that are accredited at this point, somewhere in there. Yeah, and not that many
1: applicants, by the way. Not
0: that many applicants. But the fellowships, in my mind, kind of fall into two broad categories. There's a lot of apprenticeship models where you're the fellow for one practice with one or two surgeons, and you spend the entire year with them, and they really like take you on like they're your child. And you'll learn everything, the way they do it, how they do it, how they run a business, all that stuff. Um, and then there's a couple of fellowships, and I think this this one is in one of the, is in the forefront where you have like we mentioned earlier in the pro- podcast a number of faculty. I mean, we have like seven or eight or nine faculty members each do a, their niches a little bit different from each other. And I mean, some people do rhinoplasty, but they'll do the rhinoplasty different. And so you get for me it was important to see how nine masters do. Aesthetic, plastic surgery and to learn a little bit from everybody and then ultimately i'm going to combine what i think is best forks for me in my hands a little bit from what from what dr Calvert taught me what dr gavami taught me or what dr Ravello taught me like and so i think that's what i wanted out of a fellowship to be able to have the buffet and pick what i want to put on my plate that's good how about you dr stephan
3: i mean it was a big part for the people i got along with the people here um and you're it's not oh hey I just randomly rolled into your operating room it's like you're I'm their guy and like I'm the fellow here and I see them every day and it's broken up in such a way that I'm with so you know with Dr. Chopra on Monday we were in the desert and then yesterday I was with you and we were hanging out all day and then Wednesday's night. and it's it's you're you're with people all the time they're really good people who I like spending my time with I'm not enslaved here i'm not carrying anybody's luggage i'm not going and doing your hand call over at the hospital um and it's you know these are all things you got to think about as an incoming fellow is one why do they why do they have you there what is their expectations of you and then are you going to get a broad experience in different operations and then you know what operations do you want to do what operations do you want to get better at you don't need to come here if you hate rhinoplasty and that's not an operation you ever want to do you can probably get some of the really great experiences that aren't rhinoplasty here but there are some places that might do the operation that you want to do better and focus on that when you're choosing don't choose because of prestige because if you just choose prestige you might end up with a bunch of people you don't like and you're just going there for the namesake and you're like why did i spend a year there choose because you like the place choose because you like the people the physical space the people you interact with during the interview choose that don't choose that's the top fellowship which i think this one is certainly the top fellowship in the yeah. <laughs> but don't just choose us for that even though it's a great reason to choose us because we are the top fellowship in the country but <laughs> choose because you like it and choose because yeah. you like the people
1: well we we uh we we agree i mean we think we've put something really great together i think there are other top fellowships too and you know not to to you know say that you single it out but it's it's more like um god if you can drive a Lamborghini and a Ferrari and a Bentley well those are three really nice cars and they're really expensive and they all do the same thing they all get you from point A to point B but they get you there differently don't they they sure do you know so like you have to kind of decide like which one you want to pick because i think there are that that's really what fellowships about it's about learning a style and learn and yeah. and and we all do it differently I, I mean we really do i mean just from you know how we approach education and how we we teach you in the operating room and you know I think uh that that's that's really where the rubber meets the road and how you come out being able to teach yourself because that's that's constantly what I do I am constantly evolving as a surgeon operation to operation day to day there's a constant evolution that I I value and and look for and that's if I instill anything in the fellows that come through here and hopefully uh it was what dr ravello saw when she came through as a, even as a resident before she started working here uh it was that you know the answers we have right now are aren't good enough they're they're better answers and you have to find them and you have to search for them and find the way to to make it better for your patients because that that's who is asking us for you know the result they're asking us to do the best that we can so if you're if you're not looking at it that way, well, you know, start because that's where it is. It's all about we can do this better. That's how I started. I do rhinoplasty like no one I know. I I, I don't I don't know anybody else that does how I attack the the nose to to get what I want out of it. And that's because I just thought the operations were totally inadequate. I thought they were just they didn't work for me and they weren't reliable. You know, taking out a little cartilage here, a graft or two there, and hoping it heals well. That that didn't work for me. No. So now I kind of show the nose who's boss and tell her it where it's <laughs> going to work. We do. This is, <laughs> this, is, this is how you're going to behave, and that's it. You I rebuilt you. That's right, and yeah. you're going to like it. Yep. All right. Um, all right, well, anything else, Dr. Ravella?
2: No, I think we should make that the motto of this, res- this fellowship. We can do it better. We can. We can do it better. <laughs> yeah. Si se puede.
3: Speaking of doing it better, I, I would like to put in a shameless plug for Dr. Calvert and I. Uh, on October 6th We will be going To the Harp Inn In Newport And performing An all emo uh, Rock band show I'll be playing Bass and singing Dr. Calvert Will be playing Guitar and singing And uh, This is
1: part of The fellowship This is the part way. of The
3: fellowship So if yeah, Everybody has you, to Play guitar Yeah, <laughs> Neil you're up next
1: I'll no. be the bartender There you go Nice <laughs> so Please join us That is super nice Supra Nice um, Love it Well we will be there October 6th That's right And uh, You know that That's sort of The thing too Like you know, art is art. You yeah. know, oftentimes, you know, I'm going to digress just for a minute because my son, who just went off to rock and roll college, you know, when you ask Bo, my son, you know, if he's a rock star or if he's going to be an actor, he says, he goes, Dad, it's all about the art. And I've always felt that way myself. I've always felt like that I'm an artist. Plastic surgery is something that I do as an artist. When I play music, it's something I do as an artist. And, and I think, uh, interestingly, um, you know, my my buddy Bass Nectar said the same thing to me one time. He's like, he's like, you know, life is art. It's all about how you, how you treat it, how you hold it. And so, you know, doing a show while you're a fellow only makes sense, you know, because yeah. that's part of your art, you know. And it's 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 like I wasn't playing guitar until Orin Tepper called me up and said like Hey, we got to do a gig Friday night." He called me on a Monday, and we did that. Oh, and yeah. You know, here we are. It's going to be my third gig in a year. I've have, I've have not played a rock show
3: in twenty years. Well, it's <laughs> maybe more. be the rock show. This this is
1: quite shows. the rock show <laughs> that you have we're talking cooked like 22. Up.
3: We're talking Fallout Boy. We're we're really taking it there. So. Yeah,
1: but that's part of it. And you know, you got to. You know, it's not like we're you know spending every single day rehearsing. It's it's you know knocking around on the guitars and, and making sure that it's part of your day to yeah. to be ready. And it's it's going to be awesome.
3: And thankfully, we have Hunter and Eddie to make us actually sound good.
1: Thank God, Plus we have them. professional musicians. That's really the key. Yeah, because I think we could probably put Neil up there yeah. with a guitar over him, and he'd look yeah. like he's freaking owns the place. Trust me, you definitely do not want that. <laughs>
0: the answer is have talented friends. That's,
1: that's really it. And and Doctor Avello's a, a, a musical theater person. I mean, so we all have these talents that are part of our art. And I think that's what plastic surgery is really about. You know, you want to be the best that you can, and you know, it, you know, being expressed as a as a artist is really key that's how you think better that's how you do better and that's how you how you make things really go to the next level for your for your patients which will obviously bode well for your careers
0: well anything else dr that's it thank you so much for having us
1: yeah thank you for being here absolutely we uh we really enjoyed it and this is the beverly hills plastic surgery podcast coming to you from the 90210 If you like what you heard on the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery podcast and want to get in touch with either Dr. Ravello or myself...